0: All right, so uh, Mark was out on vacation this week, and he asked if I would uh, come uh, today and talk through James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, and so we're going to look at that together uh, as we study. In my house, uh, I have a daughter who is a senior, and then I have two boys. One is in ninth grade, and one is in eighth grade. And so we are, we've are we been in middle school waters for a long time. We are uh, nearing the end of the middle school waters and kind of coming out of that phase. Uh, it, it has been a tremendous opportunity for us as parents to learn. Uh, it's been an opportunity to train and, and, and develop the children that God has entrusted to us. Uh, I will tell you this, uh, what I noticed in the whole process is that the things that my daughter struggled with or her learning opportunities were totally different than what my boys struggled with and went through. I mean, there were things that my boys have struggled with that are not even on her radar when she was in middle school, and vice versa. So let me give you an example. I'll give you one that uh, my boys have kinda struggled with over uh, the last (coughs) couple years, and that's hygiene. Uh, Middle school boys are uh, amazing. I don't know what happens at fifth grade, uh, but something that happens then, and and you forget how to shower in sixth and seventh, and I'm not going to say eighth grade because he's in eighth grade, uh, one of them still, and he's fantastic now, but I'm telling you, there was this learning curve where you're like, how'd you forget that? Like They would come home from their soccer practice or whatever, and we'd be like, go take a shower before you go eat, and come home, go in, and come out, and I'm like, you still smell just as bad as you did before you went in there, only now you're wet. What's up with that? And you go in, and you figure out, okay, the shampoo bottle and the soap bottle are empty, and what did you use? Oh, I took a shower. No, you got wet. You did not take a shower, Right? And so we had to kind of go through this uh, whole explaining on how to do the shower thing. And so, you know, you take the back of the bottle of shampoo and you got to be like, all right, so you apply the shampoo to your wet hair, you know, you, and then you lather it in and, you know, they go in and they put shampoo on, you come back out like half your head smells horrible, the other half smells great. Did you work it around? Well, you know, I had things, because they're thinking about, I haven't eaten in 10 minutes and I need to get back out there and go eat something or the video game is waiting for me. And so you apply the shampoo to wet hair. You lather, right? And then you rinse. And then if you still stink, you do it again. And and you work on on that again. Any parents of middle schoolers can relate to this conversation at all? I'm convinced that they put instructions on shampoo for middle school boys. (laughs) And for the conversations that parents need to have with middle school boys. So, uh, simple, simple instructions, right? But here's the thing. If you don't follow them you don't get clean. There's no benefit to the instruction if you don't follow it. We approach James chapter one, verse 19, and and I'm gonna tell you, when I'm read through these verses and the simple shampoo-like instructions that are there from James, for some of you who have been walking with Jesus for a while, you're gonna go, oh yeah, yeah, I know know that. I don't have to look at that. I, I totally, I know that. But the question is, are you applying it? Are you living it? Or have you found yourself in such a fast pace that you're just on to the next thing instead of really taking time to settle and to soak in God's word? For some of us who approach this, these verses, maybe we're just new in our faith and this is like, oh, no way. Oh, this is cool. Uh, our hope is that you would develop a habit and a pattern uh, towards God's word. But we're gonna take a look this morning at these simple shampoo-like instructions from James so that we can benefit from them as we move towards holiness, towards what God wants us to be. Will you join me in praying for our time together? Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. God, it was wonderful just to be able to come in and be reminded about your goodness and about your grace. Lord, I know that your grace has changed my life and I know it has changed many of my brothers and sisters in this room. And so God, we are so thankful for that. Lord, as we approach this passage and these simple instructions, God, the tendency could be to just kind of turn it off a little bit and and not hear what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts, that you would challenge us in these areas that we need to be challenged in, that you would encourage us in these areas that we just need to be encouraged in. God, have your way in our hearts this morning. It is in your son's precious and holy name that we pray these things. Amen. So in James chapter 1, verse 19, the simple shampoo instructions are this it's just going to be hear, receive, and obey. You can add repeat on there if you want, if that makes you feel better, but it's hear, receive, and obey. So let's take a look at here. Verse 19 says this know this. In other words, you must understand this. Take note of this. Remember this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Uh, The word quick here implies an eagerness to, to look at God's word from all angles. I can't wait to get into it. Um, David says this in the Psalms about God's commandments. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Uh, someone pointed out long ago that we have two ears that cannot close and one mouth that can. Uh, Larry King said this I never learned anything while I was talking. To hear, we need to be quick to hear. This passage was really important to the church of those days. Because everything was done orally. Uh, There wasn't the canon of scripture that you have in front of you. And so when letters were sent to the churches, uh, they were read aloud. And so you had to be able to concentrate. You had to be able to listen for it to have any kind of spiritual impact on your life. And so James is saying, hey, when you come to church, be quick to hear. When you come to God's word, be quick to listen. There was a Welsh, Welsh preacher... In the 1800s, and he was back visiting his hometown and visiting his friend of many years, and his friend said, "I remember the first message that you preached 65 years ago. That's pretty amazing. I mean, most pastors can't remember the message they preached two weeks ago." So he's like, "Yeah, 65 years ago." So the the guy was curious. So he's like, "Well, what stood out to you? What what did I say?" He said when we come to church, a lot of times what we do is we judge the speaker based on his delivery, based on his inflection, based on the way in which he captivates our attention, based on the stories he tells, Um, and and we we judge that. But if we compare that to the reading of a will where we know we're going to get an inheritance— It doesn't matter if the lawyer reads in monotone. We are just captivated with what it says because we know that what's what's gonna be said is gonna change our life, It's gonna challenge us, It's gonna give us something, it's gonna change our standing. It's gonna make an impact on on our situation. It's gonna make an impact on our lives. And he said, you said 65 years ago that we should approach every time we have an opportunity to hear or read God's word within the same manner. This guy was like, uh, amen, glad I said that, right? Made a difference. The challenging that James does here to this church, is spread out all over, uh, really applies to us today. Why? Because I am, and we are, sometimes horrible, horrible listeners. We have a hard time listening Have you ever been in a conversation where you knew based on the body language of the person that you were talking to that you had lost them? Uh, Whether it's they started looking down or they started, you know, like, okay, looking at their watch or they had that far off, you know, glazed glare looking off or they're listening to you like this or even the opposite where they're like, I'm waiting for you to take a breath so I can speak now. I'm waiting for you to take a breath. And you know they're not processing. And many of us in here are like, yeah, I got children. I totally understand that. But that's true for us as adults, too, with e- right? Uh, we, we do that with each other. We have a hard time listening, hard time hearing. Uh, let me give you two cultural reasons why we have a hard time listening. Uh, the first is simply this, busy. We're busy. And, and busyness robs us of relationship. Busyness robs us of conversation. How you doing? If you don't say fine, I'm going to be upset because I got to go to the next thing. I don't want to hear more than fine. Right? Why? Because I got some place to be. I'm very busy. The other is we're conditioned to it. We're conditioned to it. Take a look at our visual media, whether it be TV, whether it be movies, whether it be YouTube, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Instagram. The little videos are quick snippets and they grab our attention. Next time you watch your favorite television show, just watch and on one scene, one camera angle, count how long before they switch camera angles or before they switch scenes. It's going to be between five and ten seconds. Why? Because they know that we have a hard time paying attention and we're conditioned to the quick clicks. And in the middle of that busyness, in the middle of that quick clicks, we're like, all right, Lord, speak to me. You have 60 seconds. And yet he says to us, be still and know that I am God. Relax, take a breath and listen to what I have to say. Let me ask you this, where in the patterns of your life do you stop and listen so that you can hear what God has for you. Where in the patterns of your life do you open up God's word and go, all right, God, whatever you have for me today, I want to hear it. I want to listen. Maybe you, you know, you're new in your faith and you come to this book and you're like, there's so, where do I start? I mean, it's so full. Or you got your app and there's 66 books and you're like, which one do I press? And last time I picked numbers and it was kind of boring. And w- which one do I choose, Right. We'd love to help you. Uh, we have an app here called the Discipleship Blueprint that uh, we would love to connect you with someone who can read alongside of you and, and you can just kind of think through and process with and talk about with. And if that's, maybe, that, maybe that's your one action step today. Get connected with someone who can help me to build this into my life to where I can read God's word regularly. What I'd encourage you to do is stop by that Life Group Center and find Cindy and say, hey Cindy, can you talk to me a little bit about discipleship and then be prepared to listen because Cindy will talk to you about discipleship and she'll be very excited to talk to you about that. James is confronting the person here who's never silent before the Lord. Think of what Eli told Samuel. Go back and say, speak Lord, your servant is listening. The second phrase, besides being quick to hear in this verse, is to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Uh, the churches that James wrote to were a little bit more unstructured than some of the churches today. Uh, think more life groupish, home churchish, where sometimes there's a speaker who's speaking, but if you have a question or you have something to add, you can kind of jump in, and you feel a little more comfortable to do that. And what he's saying is sometimes people jump in and they take everything off track. And so he's saying, Rather than you know jumping in and saying, why don't you slow down a second? Why don't you listen? Be slow to speak. Be slow to jump in. Uh, the ancient world had understood this. They had a philosopher who said this we have two ears and one mouth. Therefore, we should listen twice as much as we speak. A uh, simple truth. I've never had to take back anything I didn't say. I've never had to take back anything I didn't say. Uh, Are you one that just jumps in with conversation right away and even when you got that filter in the back of your head going, you shouldn't say this, and then you just kind of plow right through it anyway, and later you're like, oh, I really shouldn't have said that. What James is saying, oh, slow down. Slow down. My elementary teacher used to say this, hey, words are, you know, like this dandelion. She'd blow it and go all over in the wind. Once they're out there, they're out there. You can say, I'm sorry, but it's still out there. Proverbs says it this way. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Our natural tendency in respect to God's word is uh, to be uh, slow to hear and quick to speak. Right? Kind of the opposite of what James is saying here. We're quick to add our opinion. We're quick to give our information. We're quick to solve the problem. And sometimes without even understanding what's actually going on. We can jump in. Verse 19 continues. It's not only uh does it say uh be quick to hear, be slow to speak, but it says, be slow to become angry. Uh, when we speak, listening stops, but when we become angry, listening really stops. Have you ever witnessed an angry conversation? I mean, I'm not gonna say have you ever been in one because we all know you have. Like we, we all have, right? There's moments when I'm talking to my children when I've walked in and all of a sudden there's this click and I'm, I'm saying things and I'm angry and I'm upset and then later I find out it wasn't quite what I thought it was right that moment. Any, any other parent done that? Okay, but I'm talking about when you were actually sane and you're watching someone who's angry deal with someone who's trying to calm them down. It's a fascinating watch, because you can see the moment in the conversation where it kind of clicks for that person and they are just upset. And they're, you know, fingers wagging and they're upset. And, and as the same person on the side, you're like, wow, that guy's really mad. And you can totally see it and totally see it uh, working its way out. I remember when I was an intern uh, in a junior high ministry, we had this event where uh, kids would show up at like 10 o'clock on Friday night. We'd hang out and play um, dodgeball and other kind of games in the gym until about one in the morning, and then we'd load up, and we'd load like these four or five Greyhound buses and put all the kids on these buses, and we'd drive from Phoenix to Los Angeles, and we'd get out, we'd have breakfast, and we'd go to this park called Magic Mountain, and we'd play all day until the park closed at 11, hop back on the buses, go to an In-N-Out burger, grab burger and fries hop back on the buses and drive back through the night, back to Phoenix. And we had arrived while church was in session. And so all the students would come into the youth room and they were all very awake and very alert at that point. Um, and what we arranged with parents is this, pick up your student just like you were after church. Wherever you normally meet your student, that's where they'll be. And so talk to your student about that. And so after church got out, the room kind of emptied and kids went to meet up with their parents and all that. Well, there was one lady who was very upset, and I remember her yelling and finger wagging and just so upset at my boss, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just watching this, and I'm like, wow. And she's basically going, where is my daughter? Why is my daughter not where I told her to be? Why is she not there? Where is she? What have you, and, and he's like trying to get a word in, like, well, ma'am, well, well ma'am, well, um, excuse ma'am, and she's just going on and on and on, and finally he just kind of sits back and is like, all right, finish that. And then she finally stops. She goes, well, well? And he goes, ma'am, I have no idea why your daughter isn't where you told her to be, but I I was not with her the first 12 years of her life. And she goes, oh, good point. Turns around and storms off. Why? Because she finally stopped being really, really angry for a second and could hear. Now, I hate to imagine the conversation that happened when she eventually found her daughter, but she was not happy. Anger does that, right? Where we have this uh, idea and this way where uh, it does not uh, allow us to hear. And here's what God's word says. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we get angry, we miss out on becoming what God wants us to become. Solomon gives this advice. A uh, A fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise man keeps himself under control. Uh, We rationalize it. We say, well, we're just being frank. Uh, You know, I just attribute it to the way I was raised. No, I'm just under a lot of pressure. And yet, God's word calls this kind of anger sin. I think sometimes uh, we as Christians can present ourselves as very angry. And when we have conversation, we come across as angry and, and people don't hear what we're saying. They just hear the anger. Jesus was a great example of this. He, to the broken, his tone was so much different. He still to, told truth, but his tone was so much different than when he was talking to the religious who were off course. An angry spirit is never an attentive one. And so not only do we need to hear, that's the first shampoo instruction that he gives us. The second is we need to receive. We need to receive. Look what verse 21 says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, humility, the word, uh, the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Christians should put away. Uh, another way to describe that is to strip off It was used of clothing to take off the robe to put on a clean one. Uh, There should be a transformation that takes place. As fallen humans, we need to have God's word uh, implanted in us. We need to read it so that that we can understand it. James is in line with Jesus' teaching here. Uh, Jesus taught in different parables in different times, and in Mark chapter four, he tells the parable of the sower. Uh, Let me read it for you. It says this, and he was teaching them And yet other seed fell upon the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell upon good soil, and it produced grain, growing and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, a hundredfold. And Jesus is saying, "That soil represents your heart. Uh, is, when you listen to God's word, when you approach God's word to read it, is your heart so hard that you're like, I just need to get over this, get through this? So say what you're gonna say and it just kind of bounces off. Is your heart so full of worry and wondering about life and the busyness that it kind of chokes it out and yes, you read it, but you don't remember anything? Or when you approach God's word, do you approach it with a heart that has a soil that's saying, okay, Sink down. Impact my heart so it can impact my life. It's interesting, the verse in James tells us that that soil must be cleared by putting away all filthiness and wickedness. And then there's an active ingredient that we're supposed to approach God's word with, and that's meekness. Now it's interesting, when we think of meekness, most of us attribute it to weakness. And yet the biblical understanding and definition of meekness is anything but weak. Jesus says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Biblical meekness has a power to it, has a backbone to it, uh, has a steel to it. Matthew Henry in his commentary speaking about meekness says this, The meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, to his word and to his rod, who follow his direction, comply with all of his designs, and are gentle towards men. You see, meekness is willing Submission. It's willing submission. It's willing to receive what he has to tell you. Let me just ask you this question. What is the soil of your life like right now? What is the soil of your heart like right now towards God? Are you ready to receive what he has to say to you when you read God's word? Uh, every so often, Mark will call a bunch of us into his office and just say, "Hey, I'm thinking through sermon series coming up. You know, what are some things you think I should preach on?" And typically, the standards come out like, "Oh, we should teach on you know marriage. We should teach on singleness. We should teach on uh, serving and giftedness. We should teach on integrity. We should teach on purity. We should teach on uh, raising your kids. We should teach on finances. We should teach on and you know this whole populated little list here." If you ever come to one of those sermons where he's not just walking through sections of Scripture, but he's teaching uh, more topical-ish stuff, what I want you to notice is that there's a thread woven through every one of those topics. And it's going to boil down to submission. I mean, for a marriage example, he might say, okay, this is ways in which you could argue, you know, fight fair. This is ways in which you could communicate better. Here are some things that you could... But what I'll always come back to is, hey... This is not really going to work until you're willing to submit to the Lord. Until you're willing to say, okay, God, your will, not my will. And that's woven into it. And what we know this, if we concentrate on discipleship, if we concentrate on growing, if we concentrate on submission, those areas start being taken care of without even addressing them because we want to do what God wants for us. And so we have hear, we have receive, and the last one is simply obey. Obey. James is gonna move in verse 22 talking about uh, hearers and doers and the contrast there. So let's look at it. Verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forget what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You come to church? Great. Read your Bible? Wonderful. James would say this does it make a difference in how you live? Does it make a difference in how you act? Can people tell from your actions? I mentioned earlier that Mark, Mark was on vacation. Could you imagine if he sent me an email and said, hey, Tom, while I'm gone this week, I need you to do these three things. And I, I looked at that email. I'm like, oh, fantastic. Look, a list of things to do. And I said, hey, uh, Travis, Shane, Brian, Brad, come on in here. Let's, let's have a study around this email Let's figure it out. Let's, let's look at these verbs and kind of figure out what they mean. We can come up with some really good discussion questions around this email. It'll be a fantastic time together. And if Mark came back and I saw him this morning and he was like, hey, did you do those three things? And I went, even better. I developed a study around your email. I mean, we can parse these verbs. I can tell you the root verb of where this thing came from and where, you know, what the word was derived from in Latin. It's fantastic. Shane was really helpful in that. I wouldn't keep my job very long, would I? Do you think there's time that God looks down at us in our small group discussions and goes, hey, that's fantastic. They got great questions coming on. There's great discussions going on. But when you leave the group, are you actually doing what you've learned? Are you walking in obedience? And so James says, we need to be doers. Jesus contributes to this teaching as well. He says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You see, holiness requires a life of action. This to be doers is is, is continuing to do. It's not like I did it once, I'm done. It's a continue to do what we learn from in God's word. Uh, True religion is not merely works. It's allowing God's word to penetrate our hearts so that it's a natural outflow of our lives. James is going to move into the next two verses and he's going to give us specific examples of what it means to be a doer. In fact, he's going to hit three specific areas. He's going to talk about our speech. He's going to talk about our hands. He's going to talk about our heart in terms of scripture. T- take a look at this, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's three examples here. The first one is speech. Uh, controlling our tongue. James is gonna speak more about that in chapter three, but here he compares the tongue to a powerful animal, to the horse, uh, to, to be able to bridle, that, to, to, to control that. This is a spiritually terrifying statement. If your tongue is out of control, your religion is worthless. Sometimes we think that a true test of a man's religion is the ability to speak, but the truth is The test is it's the ability to bridle your tongue. Jesus says it this way. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James isn't talking about sometimes when people fall into the sin. What he's saying is when you repetitively you know, you, you got great church attendance, you can parse out the verbs, you can read the Bible, all this stuff. But you repetitively go with your mouth and you can't control your tongue. He's you saying, man, that's worthless. And why? Because he understands that words make an impact on people. That words make a difference in other people's lives. The second example he hits is our hands when he says we need to care for orphans and widows uh, the most helpless people in the Jewish society of that day were the orphans and widows uh, the, verse, the word translated there affliction is, you could talk about it in terms of pressure the pressure was where does my food come from where does my clothing come from and here was a church that was persecuted some of them uh, had lost everything some of them still had everything and James was going okay do you see this help each other help each other Where does this take place in our church? It takes place in our life groups. Uh, When you are in a life group and something happens in your life, whether it is something usually financial, whether it's something emotional, whether it's something spiritual, usually the life group gathers around you, prays for you, helps you, uh, makes others aware of it, um, comes alongside of you in this. If you're a part of the church and you're here and you're not experiencing a life group, you're missing out on that support system, on that opportunity that we have to encourage each other, to take care of one another. The third example that James hits real quick is the heart, Uh, to keep oneself from being unpolluted from the world. I think uh, the prophet Isaiah's words could apply to our world today. He says this, evil is called good and good evil. Light is in darkness and darkness and light. James is saying, keep your life separate. And the question I would ask is, what are the things that you're putting into your life? What are the things that you're watching? What are the things that you're reading? What are the things that you're listening to? And how is that affecting your heart? A couple weeks ago, we discovered we had a smell in our garage. And we could not, you know, it was kind of subtle at first, but we couldn't figure out what exactly it was. We thought, oh, it's, it's the trash, right? So we'll take out the trash and... The guy came, picked up the trash, and the trash came back in, and that smell remained. And we're like, what is going on in our garage? So it's one of those things like you start smelling everything in your garage to figure out what what the smell is, because it's it's starting to come into the house through the laundry room, and you can almost pick it up in the kitchen now, and you're like, this has gotta change. There is something wrong in my house. And so I'm in my garage, and I'm like picking up air. (laughs) No, don't think that's it, right? And I'm moving back and forth. Well we discovered it truly is the garbage can and it was the garbage can and what had happened is uh, one of our boys had taken some trash, a certain type of trash that has a certain smell to it and thrown it into the, the garbage can but not put it into like a bigger bag and so every time the garbage got dumped that thing sat at the bottom. And so what happened was it had smashed to the bottom and you know how sometimes the lid gets open and then rain comes in and there's moisture and you add that to the mix and then you close it back up and it sits in there and the smell was unreal. Like you open it up and you're looking down and you're like, oh, I got interesting bugs at the bottom too. You know, it's, it's one of those things and it's just smelling like crazy. And you're like, well, that's where the trash goes. It goes in the trash can. That's, I mean, that's where it happens. But we had to go in and we had to clean the whole thing out. And you know, it solved the whole, the whole issue, right? Uh, kill the bugs, uh, clean it all out. But many of us would look at that and go, well, yeah, he was right, he put the trash in the trash can. That's great. Trash goes in the trash can, right? But so many of us take the trash that our culture has to offer and goes, mm, I'm just gonna put it in my heart. I'm just gonna keep it right here. And we wonder, why we slowly drift away from the Lord. We wonder why the things that he's concerned about, the things that he loves, are no longer the things that we love. And we've drifted. You see, we come to these shampoo-like directions. And for some of us, we're not enjoying the benefit of God's word because we're skipping one of the steps. I'm going to invite Corey and the band to come back out, but here's what I want you to do. Just in the quietness in your own seat, the quietness of your heart, I would just love for you to ask God, God, which one of these am I rushing through? Which one of these am I skipping? Am I not taking time to hear from you? Am I not letting it penetrate my heart, and I'm not receiving? Or is it just the action step of obeying and following? I'm gonna pray for us, and as we sing this next song, we're gonna invite you to the stations. If you need to reconnect with the Lord and remember again what he has done for us on the cross, that you're more than welcome to experience the communion stations. If you wanna lift up Whatever shampoo direction or whatever else is going on in your life that you know that you just need God to connect with you again on and to help you move into that space, maybe you can uh, write it as a prayer request. We would love to pray for you this week. Let me pray for us as we get ready to worship. Father, we listen to James and... If we've been walking with you for any length of time, Lord, we know this. We understand that we're supposed to interact with your word, that we're supposed to allow it to penetrate our lives, and that we're supposed to live it. But God, sometimes we just go off track.